We need your help. Uh, you've cut the phone lines. Yeah, but only... <laughs> we're still friends. <laughs> These are the, uh, the land men of the Lazarine. The lab man of the Lazarine. Khaleesi, the lab man of the Lazarine. <laughs> That's great. The <laughs> lab man of the Lazarine. These are the uh, the lab men of the Lazarine. What have you, what have you done? <laughs> Bong. Bong. <laughs> I'm just doing an appropriate reaction to what's happened in this episode. This part of the book. Oh, it's dramatic. You're listening to a sad and devastated Shark Live Royal. We're about to read through and discuss part nine of George R.R. Martin's book, A Game of Thrones. We've entitled this Baylor because it largely follows the... uh, the part of the book that relates to the series, part nine of the series. We've come a long way with good old Ned Stark. And um well this is the this is the bit that this is the bit that bites, Dave. The bite of the shark. We should say mind. really. I I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. I feel uh, like I'm too cheery. Even, even your, it's even too your cheery, Dave, hello. Is yeah. <sighs> even that though was did sound like there was a, a melancholy air to it. Oh, shall I try? Shall I try it again with it with a more appropriate sense of dread? Go on, then. I'm Dave. All right. You just, you just said it bored, then. You said it like. Is that oh. what it sounds like when I'm really under, really under the cosh, just feel filled with ennui? Oh dear. Look, let, let's let, let's let's just get into it. All right. Let's just let's just rip the you know rip the plaster off the wound. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So we start off with a chapter about Ned. Um, he is in a black cell on the floor where the straw stinks of piss. Basically, um, he's having a terrible time, and he's blaming himself for not. Um, not being good enough, really, uh, with politics and being effectively maybe too honourable and, um, well, and not being able to see these dangers which have landed him in this predicament. He gallops into uh, the conclusion that the rest of us reached about three episodes back. Yeah, right, so, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a real... He, he, we're left here and he, he keeps um, seeing these visions because he's just in this dark cell with no, you know, no sense of time or anything like that. He he's just he starts like just alone with his memories and starts seeing things. Um, he sees this vision of of King Roberts um, in his absolute prime. He's on this um, he's on his horse and he's uh, he's got his war hammer and he's he's every fine figure of a, what a king should be. This is where he took the throne, and um, and Robert speaks to Ned and and he says, you know, look at us and how has it come to this? Me being killed by a boar, you know, killed by a pig. Mm. Um, again, it's just the sadness of how we feel that we've entered this story um, at the when the best days are, are already gone, especially for for Ned and for and for Robert. Yeah, yeah. 
And they were the heroes, weren't they? In this world where most people do nothing other than, you know, sort of grow vegetables and try to avoid horrible, violent death or exploitation. You know, they yeah. they did something apparently quite honourable and certainly very impressive. You know, if there was a if there was glory in that in this world it was theirs. And now look at them, you know. One has been turned yeah. into a pig kebab and the other one's lying on straw that stinks of piss. Yeah. We've also we're also reminded of um how this whole war started. The the would be King Robert um was in love with Liana who was who was Ned's sister. And not and at all named Ray- after a, a species of jungle vine that Tarzan no. swung up. Sorry, I, this is fucking <laughs> carry on. And um and this whole thing really began when Rhaegar effectively kidnapped Lyanna and uh, according to Robert raped her um, and the, the, Ned remembers a, a jousting tournament where um, Jamie Lannister gets made a, a, a I think he gets made a, he enters into the Kingsguard and um, Rhaegar who's the prince wins the tournament and then instead of going over to his wife he goes over to Lyanna um, and sort of it's it, it, it's seen as a real um sort of slight to his wife and um it seems very it's a strange memory mm. and Ned's looking back on it now obviously at the start of what happened and he remembers again a promise that he made to Liana when she was dying because he was the last to see her we don't know what this promise is but Still. he's, he's yeah, his mind goes back to it. Every, whenever we get a Ned chapter, every so often he'll think about this promise. So it's obviously something important, but we don't know what it is. Mm. And spoiler alert, let me tell you now, if you're holding on to find out by the end of the book, you're not going to. Um, <laughs> I think you took a bit too much joy in doing that. It's the, the crushing of a child's toy. Hey, everybody, were you looking forward to it? Well, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> we did, we're very good. In fact, we didn't do the spoiler thing at the end of the last cast. Oh, um, we didn't know um, about about Syrio. Uh, maybe we'll do it at the end of this <laughs> if we remember. Yeah. Um, Ned gets a visit from Varys, and <clears throat> Ned basically has a go at Varys, saying, "You know, if you're on my side, as he's claimed to be now, why didn't you do something when we were when my men were getting slaughtered?" And Varys basically says, "You know." I'd, I'd do the same again because, you know, I was in, I was in the throne room unarmed, unarmoured, as people were getting slaughtered. What good would it have done me trying to step in? Yeah. It was a fair point. Yeah. Um, Ned, throughout this exchange, um, is quite cutting of Varys's sort of cowardliness, but Varys actually wears that as a badge of honour. And he he says that that is something he needs to be to do his job well. He, I think it, I like this this quote from him. He says a courageous informer would be as useless as a cowardly knight. Um, and it's just and I, I suppose it's quite yeah. a good comeback. And it's saying you know you need to certain characters fit certain skills, and not everybody is suited to being that like a, a brave, courageous, honourable knight. Absolutely, yeah. Actually, I think that's very true. And um, although I don't know, because Varys is he's good at weaving words, isn't he? So I'm sort of I'm a bit like unpack that for me in the in the great in the in the uh, in the you know the university seminar of this particular (laughs) Varys, you cocky bastard. Why exactly is cowardice a desirable attribute? You know, 
Yeah. He who looks and watches and doesn't do anything about it gets to tell his people about it later, and that's his job. Is that the is that the thing? What do you think? Yeah, I think that, I think that's precisely the thing. The um, the whole point of of Varys's job is to stay in the shadows, isn't it? Yeah, and um, get other people to to make moves for him, because yeah. when if he commits to doing something um, which is a, is a, is for somebody and against somebody else, mm. that effectively blows his cover, doesn't it? Yeah, and he can't. He he. His strength and the way he is useful to the council is he seems to be on everybody's side, mm. and he's still doing that now, and he's open about it, you know. And when Ned says, "Can you get a message to my family?" he says, "Well, I'll supply you with pen and paper, and then I'll read the message. And if I decide that the message suits my own purposes, I'll deliver it." <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that you know? that's surprising, honestly, for somebody so basically kind of twisty. Yeah, it just feel a bit like school's in session here for Ned, doesn't it? And yeah. unfortunately, and I think these are lessons which um, various and Littlefinger, um, to various extents, have and, and, uh, have been trying to teach Ned, really? or have at least been giving Ned the opportunity to learn. <laughs> well, the, I suppose the, in the same way, as somebody starting a fight with you is an opportunity to learn how to fight back. Yeah, yeah, they're um, they they've. They've always mentioned, you know, don't trust people and things like that. But yeah. I think I think Varys seems to be, he seems to be more, maybe maybe more genuine with actually wanting Ned to to to, to learn a bit more. He he says because we feel that Varys is being, I think Varys is being honest for some quite a lot of this here. Yeah. You know, when he's saying as blunt as saying, you know, I'll deliver a message if it suits me, and he's saying his whole uh, everything he wants at the moment is to avoid. Um, war, he says. Oh, I um, see. So he's the guy whose who's business depends upon stability, and if there's war, mm. there's no stability, there's no business for him. Yeah. Whereas yeah. perhaps somebody like Littlefinger can seem to make money out of anything because he runs the whorehouses, and you know, yeah, you know, nobody ever stops going to brothels. Yeah, there's an interesting um, discussion about strategy here with uh, with the Queen and with Joffrey, mm. and why. Um, Cersei's so afraid of Ned um, and of what's going to happen. And it's basically because Rob is marshalling an army and the, obviously the Lannisters and the Starks are, are at war effectively now. Mm. And the Queen is terrified that if this goes on and um, Tywin and, and, and Rob end up in a long drawn out war, this gives Stannis the opportunity, who's the, the guy who we've found out now is really the next in line to the throne right and um, it gives him the chance to land with his army take king's landing stick joffrey's head in a spike and say i'm the king yeah yeah so so she she's got a reason cersei's got a reason to to release ned there and this is what varys is trying to say and he is it's the same offer that sansa has made in the last chapter and varys is saying to ned confess that you that you were a traitor, you'll get sent to the wall, and you know with no one no one else has to die. Yeah, and, and this this obviously grates massively in Ned because he's is a is a guy of honor as we know, yeah. and he doesn't want to admit to something he's not done, and he doesn't want to allow um, these things to stay as they are because that that ends with Joffrey staying on the throne. Yeah, and it, and it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he's he's he believes in honor. And what more honourable thing could there be than saving countless of your countrymen from needless death? On the other mm. hand, 
as we've seen before, his personal honour is more important to him in many ways than the idea of the realm and other things. And he's like, you know, you can you can yeah. you can feel him being like, no, I'm not a traitor. I'm not going to say that I am. Acted yeah. in the best interest uh, of the realm. Yeah, and also by doing that, he endorses Joffrey, and there's that element of him just thinking it's just not right. Yeah, he's it's, a wrong you know, He's a wrong one. Don't do it. My, my sort of best friend has been killed at his hands. Yeah. And most of my household have been slaughtered at the hands of the Lannisters. And, you know, there's just this. He doesn't want to walk away and say, right, you know, effectively the, the villains win, you know, and he still wants to stand up against it. Yeah. And he thinks it. Uh, he basically says, if 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 I die by standing up to that, then that's fine. Yeah. And the thing that brings him round is Varys says, "Well, what about if your daughters die as well?" Mm. And and it's the fact that Sansa is in this position that I, I think if Sansa had escaped without Arya and Ned was the only person left there, he would just refuse to confess and go to his death here. Does he know Arya's escaped? I think Varys says that I that Arya escaped, um, or Arya hasn't been seen, and right, that Sansa's right. in custody. Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well. Yeah. In that case, you could definitely see him, can't you? Being like, so my daughters are safe. Kiss both mm. of my chuddies one at a time. You know, yeah. like he'll just he'll turn up the fuck off, and rightly so. But, yeah. um, well, well, yeah. Classic, classic hostage taking, isn't it? Yeah. Um. We move on to, so Ned's left with this choice. Then we move on to Caitlin. She's travelling with Rob's army still. They've arrived at the Twins, which is, um, it's basically two castles, one on either side of the river and a big bridge in between. Mm. And it's the, it's the household of the Frey. It's where the Freys are based. Um, and these guys should be um, loyal to the Tullys. They're bannermen of the Tullys. Mm. So on the face of it, this should be an easy crossing for Rob because, yeah. the, he, you know, the... Freys are allied to the Tullys, and the Tullys are allied to the Starks. But it's not as simple as that, as we'll find out. Of course it's not. We first hear that the problem is because the Freys assembling a host, and you think, well, that's obviously just there to, to, to help Stark, maybe. But obviously, Caitlin is very suspicious of, of Walder Frey. And that the makes Lord, right? The Lord, yeah. yeah. And that makes us suspicious as well, I suppose. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of caution in that, they're bringing down all the ravens that they, that leave the twins to make sure that no word gets out of what Rob's doing. Um, because yeah, they need to keep it quiet that he's crossing the river. Now, I think that's a, it's, it's, it's a good idea, yeah. but I'm just wondering how practical that is. Yeah. If you want to get a message out from the twins yeah. and you've got like 40 ravens, you put the same message on them all yeah. and send them at once. Yeah. Are, are they going to be able to stop that? Oh, that's true, actually, isn't it? Rather than sending them out one at a time. But yeah. Plus, who pays attention to every bird flying away from a castle? Like yeah. castles are very big places. Birds are very small things. Yeah. So, and not not only do you have to see everyone that leaves, you have to shoot it as well. Yeah. With a bow and arrow. A piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems very, very um, unlikely, unlikely that the, yeah. that plan would work. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. But also, I mean, you hardly. So, uh, so we don't trust Walder Frey because Caitlin doesn't trust Walder Frey, and fair enough. But he's he's hardly diplomatic, is it? <laughs> you know, no. so we need your help. Uh, you've cut the phone lines, yeah, but only <laughs> we're still friends. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> clearly not friendly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, 
Um, we hear uh, more tales of bad things happening from the front line for Rob. It turns out that um, Edmure, um, who's in charge of the forces down in Riverrun, has lost another battle and has been captured. Oh, is there no Riverun... end to his uselessness? Yeah, and Riverrun is now under siege, so the, the actual seat of, um, of the Tullys is yeah. under siege now. So, basically, this adds another level of urgency. Rob's got to get across this river as soon as possible. Um, and, yeah. so he, and for that, he needs the help of the Freys. Yeah. Um, Walder Frey offers to um, feast Rob and to have Rob come over and, and, and treat with him yeah. in the castle. And his bannermen are absolutely um, convinced that that is a bad move. They think that basically allows him to be taken prisoner and sold off to the Lannisters. What sort of an so ally he... is this Walder Frey character? <laughs> yeah, and if all the Bannermen are reacting like that, yeah. he must. it's obvious that he has form as being an untrustworthy kind of guy. Yeah. So Caitlin goes to visit him instead. Um, I suppose, um, yeah, Caitlin goes to visit him instead. Um, he's described Walder Frey as a wizened pink weasel with a bald spotted head. <laughs> An, an instantly trustworthy character type, if ever I heard one. And he's about he's about ninety as well, and he's got this massive family. Mm. He's basically been um, absolutely prolific with his uh, <laughs> with his child making ability. Um, Delicately yeah. put, Matt. I like that. Yeah, he's been shot and too much slang. Um, yeah. <laughs> And he really comes across in, uh, in in this passage as a really bitter old man. And he, he sort of hates everybody, and he feels everybody's been running him down. Mm. Um, he's one of these people who's, who's, like Sir Alistair, really easily offended. And um, he's constantly being offended by everybody around him, including his own allies. Yeah. I, I, what, what happens to somebody who's like an, an, a, an absolute ruler of a big chunk of land and two castles and a bridge, that the, they still have this mindset of being constantly snubbed by everybody. Like, yeah. what's wrong in your brain, man? You rule the place. Relax yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I think he, he is a bit of a... Um, you can see why he'd be a bit of an outcast, Frey, because he's he isn't a very pleasant character and you wouldn't want your... Your, your sons and daughters marrying into his family. Yeah. Um, if you don't like him very much, but he just happens to ha- hold this. Uh, so he, he holds this land, which is I think the land's pretty poor, mm. but it's just in times of war it suddenly becomes important because strategically it's the only yeah, way across this river. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so this is the only time when he actually has any power, I suppose. In peacetime, everyone ignores him because he's useless, I suppose, and he's not very nice. He's got the tw- he's got the two. You know, key qualities of being outcast. He is, is, is not nice and useless. So, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, yeah. and and obviously that that's made him bitter. Yeah. And um, and it, the, the reason he doesn't he doesn't side with Tywin is because Tywin hasn't personally come up to ask him himself. That's why he says. And that's he, the he's, only he's, reason. Screw yeah. this. It's, it's as if the Bannerman system just doesn't work. That's the only. Yeah. That's the only reason that he hasn't gone over to the other side is that they were insufficiently polite. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that he says about oaths. He says, "Yes, I swore oaths to, to House Tully, so I am the Bannerman, but I also swore oaths to the king." And as far as I can see, Rob's a rebel now. 
So you know, which <laughs> oath do I choose? <laughs> and he's 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 not saying this in the way Ned would say it, saying, "Oh, honor against honor, what shall I do?" He's just saying, "Look, I can pick whichever one I want because yeah. there are so many. You make so many oaths, they just become meaningless." Oh, that's break very one, interesting. One way or the other, an honor-based system, which is all about the oath you swear. On the one yeah. hand, the oath is everything. On the other hand, it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, in the end, there's this there's this discussion. Caitlin comes back with some some terms to allow mm-hmm. him to cross the bridge. Frey basically says you can cross the bridge and you can have loads of my men, and he's got quite a large army mm. um, of support. But mm. his conditions are quite a few. One is a couple of his kids are going up to Winterfell to be um, to be warded up there with Bran, oh, um, and he sees that as a good thing. So we were talking before yeah. about wards as being like hostages, but in a sense, it's like yeah. going, off, going off to school. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a way of tying houses together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he wants a couple of his kids um, growing up at the big seat of power up in the north. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, because because Rob is Rob. I don't think we've discussed this, but Rob's. I don't oh, know because it's not happened yet. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so he wants his, his two two of his sort of I think it's grandsons something up there yeah. um, to be to grow up up in, in Winterfell, and then he wants another one of his grandsons to to squire for Rob. So he puts someone right at the heart of of of, of Rob's sort of power base now. Yeah. So yeah. he's got a, he's got a guy who's you know in the same way that John's been groomed for command by the Lord Commander up at the Wall. Yeah. That's a similar position that um, he's just secured for one of his grandsons. Yeah. And also, Arya's got to marry another one of his sons, which you can imagine her reaction to that. Yeah. And the absolute kicker, Rob's got to marry one of his daughters. So this is quite a big ask, isn't it? For somebody who's already sort of ostensibly on your side. To be like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, I'll honour the agreement between us with a few changes. Look. Yeah. No. Yeah, he's definitely playing it like a guy who does hold all the cards here. Yeah, well, and he does, of course. You know, the, yeah. the army's got to go through here. There's nowhere else for it to go. But yeah, yeah. If I was Rob, I'd look very seriously into the possibility of boats. <laughs> you know what I mean? Be like, oh, yeah, I'll do all of that. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, we'll come back tomorrow and talk about it, yeah? Just go yeah. out and just get everybody along the river with boats to take, you across, <laughs> take your entire army across. I mean, he's got thousands of men, so that's a lot of boats. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'm not going to claim to be a military strategist, but should there be a way? No? <laughs> get one of those Get well, one of those cutesy, uh, you know, like at Stratford, uh, one of those uh, chain, um, chain things, tourist attraction things, just moving at about one mile an hour across. Two horses and a couple of blokes per each, just like click, 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 click. Rob arrived on the east bank of the river, a wizened old man. (laughs) (laughs) It's a shame, he thought. This could have been a really exciting sequence in my life. Oh well, never mind. (laughs) And died. (laughs) George R. R. Martin wept. (laughs) Right, okay, yeah, so he decides not to take his his men across two by two on a small little... (laughs) Amateur hour, Yeah, he decides to agree to these conditions. And uh, Caitlin's very impressed with this because she thinks it takes a lot of guts to accept a marriage into a family you don't like very much. 
knowing full well what that means in, in, the, in sort of the context of this world. Because yeah. he can't very well divorce and marry again without causing massive problems for himself. Mm-hmm. We move up to the wall with John. He's, uh, he's been injured in this. In, when we last saw him, he was fighting off this, this white walker, not white walker, uh, this uh, zombie, mm. uh, which had come back from this corpse that had come back from the dead. I was going to say, he set it on fire by chucking a, uh, chucking a lamp at it and uh, he burned his hand by, by doing that. He was, he was, bore a resemblance to Oi Walker though, didn't it? They do uh, share a resemblance. Yeah. Um, I don't, this is a bit confusing in the book and I don't think it's a spoiler to, to point out the differences here. So there are, there are White Walkers and there are, the people that are brought back from the dead, and they're not the same thing. Oh, are they not? Oh, I didn't. No. I didn't pick that up at all. I just assumed that White Walkers equal zombies. No, so so um, White Walkers, are, or zombies, are the guys who are killed by White Walkers, and then the body reanimates like a and, and sort of attacks people. They, they attack people, and they've got these crazy can, ass blue eyes. They got these crazy ass blue eyes, and they um, they're killed, but it seems by fire. Mm. Um, the White Walkers are something different. They are these large um, monsters that we we saw one at the very start of the book, and it's not a zombie. It's the thing that makes zombies. Um, oh, so they're slightly different. They're slightly different. Like a king zombie. Sort of, yeah, they're sort of almost. I don't think they're 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 dead. They're reanimated corpses. They're almost like these ethereal um, beings that um, oh, appear right. once every few millennia. Um, so, so, so there are there are two different things operating there. I didn't realise that. Hey, do you know what that makes me think of? I, I have no well, idea whether this might be plausible. I, you know, I've not read ahead or anything. But um, is it possible that what we're talking about here are the old gods? Given that the old gods don't have names and are unnumbered and seem to be kind of worshipped as sort of elemental forces that come we know not from where. And yeah. given that there's like. Um, uh, what are they called? God trees or whatever it is. Given yeah. that there's some of those off north of the wall as well, like is is it possible what we're looking at here is the return of their gods to a people that have forgotten what they're actually like? Yeah, possibly. But I mean, it's a good theory, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I I don't know for sure either. And the the only the only thing I'd say um, to counterbalance that is that the 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 people in the north still do sort of hold to the old gods yeah so i i think that would be a stronger theory if um if everybody had had rejected the old gods and, and know all about these seven like 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 the southern lords do well i don't know but, but, i wonder i mean if they come from the north they've got to go through the north to get to the south anyway if they want to pick a fight yeah. with the people who chosen the seven but also that's true i mean you know this is a this is a this is a kind of well visited idea in, in literature and stuff is the idea of people start worshipping something and then eventually it becomes the religion rather than the thing itself that they're worshipping and it just mm. you know and if if that if that item of worship turned up in the gathering of worship nobody would recognize it because they're just now all about the all, all about the um, the the stuff that's gathered around it. Yeah. So no, I I I, st- I it's, in, it's an interesting theory. Yeah, and um, I, I couldn't, couldn't call right or wrong about this point. Ooh, well, I I I feel I feel quietly proud of that one. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sort of hoping now, that, <laughs> but it's, I'm not going to know for like ten years, am I? Until he's finished all the books, whether or not that was. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, George. Mark, this day in uh, in your life, this might be the moment you came up with. You, you busted open the uh, 
I busted, busted the cone. The, yeah. Is it like? It, it, does it feel like solving Lost? Only, um, <laughs> only it makes more sense because it's not going to be a massive letdown at the end. <laughs> could be, could be. <laughs> okay, anyway. um, the the next bit. So, so yeah. So, so John is um, is is speaking with the Lord Commander. They find out that about what's been going on down in King's Landing, that Sir Barristan's been dismissed and has stormed out of the out of the throne room. And it turns out he actually escaped. They sent a couple of men after him and he killed them quite easily mm. and got away. Mm. Unsurprising, considering he's the original badass grandpa. <laughs> um, he he would be a great spin-off, just badass grandpa, just, just call the show that. I'd love to see that, wouldn't just you? Just, just roams around <laughs> Westeros paying no attention whatsoever to petty power games. And just yeah. just being like, I've got a sword. I'm 82 years old, and you're all frightened of me. So, yeah. Actually, this badass grandpa thing, I, I only realised after we did it, um, after we were talking about it um, uh, a few podcasts back. Is what I'm drawing on is um, uh, is a Terry Pratchett character called Cohen the Barbarian, who's basically right. exactly this. And I even quoted <laughs> a bit without realising it. I realised when I listened back to it. But um, but it is this idea of these guys who've just been fighting for so long and they've got really good at not dying. And it's yeah. it's absolutely hilarious. Honestly, I mean, I recommend it as a, as a sort of counterpoint to all this quite serious hacking, slashing, yeah. hero fantasy. It's a book called Interesting Times by Terry Pratchett. Go and read right. it. It's, it's fucking gold. And it's got, and it's Excellent. basically, it revolves around this group of really, really elderly badasses. It's a great idea. <laughs> you know, sort of holding up fights for a moment while they put their teeth back in and then absolutely owning a whole bunch of, like, stone beasts and stuff. It's just yeah. it's absolutely great. Anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> John gets a, a sword from um, from the Lord Commander. It's called Longclaw, and it's made with Val- Valerian, Valerian steel, which is sort of... There are, there are very few of these swords around. It's sort of like the masterwork and... Um, the skills to create them, I assume, have been lost years ago, and only some, only a few of the sort of great houses actually have one of these in the family. So they're priceless, really. Yeah. Um, and it turns out the Lord Commander's got one, and he gives it to John. Bloody hell! Um, which is a, a really, I mean, it's, it's a part of a thank you for saving his life because he would have been killed by this walker or, the, or the, by this zombie otherwise. Yeah. And. Um, and also just, a, I suppose, a, a token of just how high esteem um, the Lord Commander holds John now. He obviously sees a lot in him. It's a turnaround, uh, isn't it, from having been put in prison for attacking one of his superiors? Like, yeah. what do you think um, Alistair Thorne's going to make out of this? Cause he, cause he's not going to like it, is no, he? No, he's not. I bet he'll sulk for months. Yeah, but I guess it's it's um, it's a continuation as well of um, of, of of this... You know, when John was confined to quarters, whether he was allowed to keep his wolf and things like that, you can see that he's being treated slightly differently. Yeah. Um, because they see the potential in him. Yeah. Um, the uh, J- John brings this sword back into the uh, into the common room, and all his mates are running around, like wanting to look at it. Yeah. All um, sort of excited, and <laughs> one of them called Toad says. Um, I heard of a man who had a razor made of Valerian, Valerian steel. Um, he cut his head off trying to shave. <laughs> <laughs> How sharp it is. <laughs> yeah, so is it, is it that Valerian steel actually has two magical qualities? One is that it's really sharp and hard, and the other one is that it makes you really fucking stupid. <laughs> I just love the idea of 
I'll just give myself a quick... Oh, oh no, fuck. I cut my own head off. Oh. <laughs> Who would have thought it? <laughs> you don't see that in the Gillette adverts. No, you yeah. don't. So they'd get a new class of customer if they tried it then. <laughs> um, Sam mentions um, slightly later on that his father has a Valerian steel sword as well called Heartsbane. Mm. Um, good name for a sword, that. Yep. Um, so, and that gives another example of how how strong and sort of uh, how powerful the Tarly House is, which, um, which Sam comes from. Yeah. Um, a couple of other mentions of of swords that are made from this, um, just to set things up. Um, Ice, the the sword which uh, Ned has, that's a Valerian steel oh, sword. Oh, is it? Um, yeah. Uh, Presumably, it's with him in King's Landing. Yeah, so, that two hundred. It says it's. A, I mean, Ned's sword is a massive two-handed great sword. So it's one of those enormous ones. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's for that's for uh, Valerian steel. Wow. Um, <laughs> not surprising that the sort of the warden of the north has got one, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just one little aside. One of the uh, things that has really irked Tywin Lannister over the years is that for all the gold that he has and all the power, he doesn't have one of these. <laughs> And he's really, it always, it's always got at him. What can um, you buy the warmongering psychopath that has it all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the, all the like embroidered armor in the world isn't going to uh, compare to that, is it? No, I bet, I bet you can buy it um, piecemeal in, in uh, 125 easy installments, though, from Little Bits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, John's thinking of leaving the, the Night's Watch now. Mm. Because of what's going on further south with his brother marching off to war, and uh, he has this chat with Eamon, who's Master Eamon, who's the uh, the maester up at the wall, mm. who talks to him about sacrifice and family and how you have to leave all these things behind when you become a member of the Night's Watch, yeah. and you can't get involved. And um, he asks what his what John's dad would do. Yeah. If it came to a choice between honour and family. Yeah. Which is great because this is exactly what Ned's having to choose between down in King's Landing now. Yeah. You know, does he keep his honour by not confessing to something he didn't do? Or does he save his family and confess? I hadn't noticed and, that, you know. That's really interesting. Yeah, and jo- John, after a while, says that his dad would do whatever's right. And that's a bit of a... I think he says it meaning he'd choose honour. Yeah. But it's kind of in a way that sounds like it could be either. Well, yeah, and that's that's because there's the nature of the dilemma, isn't it? You know. Yeah. <laughs> that um that he wants he, you know, both of them demand to be done, but only one of them can be. Yeah. And when John accuses Mr. Raymond of not understanding the kind of choice that he's having to make, um, we find out a bit of backstory about Eamon, and it turns out that um, this is this guy's Eamon Targaryen. Oh, he is, is he? He, is, he is the uncle of the Mad King. Do you know King Aerys, who was who was killed by Rob, um, who, who who was usurped by Robert? He, he was, was the king before King mental. Robert. Yeah, yeah. He was Eamon was was his uncle, so he was the brother of Aerys's father. Mm. And he says when he heard about what had happened in King's Landing, he, um, you know, there are people who would want him to go down and claim the throne for himself and avenge his dead family. But he, he, he couldn't because he's, you know, married to the Night's Watch now. Yeah. And he, he made the difficult choice. Mm. Um, and it, it just adds an extra level of texture. And also, 
I assume that Robert doesn't know that this guy is a Targaryen. Because yeah. Night's Watch member or not, you see how you, we saw how he quickly flew into murderous rages about Targaryens. Mm. He headed up there and had Aemon's head in a spike. I imagine he would, but on the other hand, he is a very elderly man and a maester, isn't he? And I think the the age thing probably wouldn't have stopped Robert because he was he was you know he was trying to kill Daenerys because she had an heir in her womb. Mm. But um, uh, but I, I I don't know. Is there not a taboo against killing maesters? Is that not you know? Are they not supposed to be the sort of servants of the realm? So he's the servant of the realm to the servants of the realm. You know, he's like a you know he's a warrior mm. monk squared. Yeah, I suppose so. And and maybe there is an element of that which stays Robert's hand if he knows about it. I would um, be interested because it would be it's just the kind of thing that you can imagine somebody who got as lazy about governing as Robert had to have missed. You know, you can just yeah. see him doing it. Yeah. And and you can imagine Benjamin uh, not telling Ned either because <laughs> you do because you, you got a sense there when Benjamin was actually knocking around Winterfell. He's he's very close with his brother. Mm. But but his his brothers in the Night's Watch come first now. Yeah. And yeah. his 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 treatment of John when John goes north is like that. Yeah. He says, Don't expect anything extra just because you're family. Yeah. Yeah. Um so it's just an interesting way the Night's Watch operates, isn't it? That they really do come together as a a very independent group. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting and in how they're kind of it's the way they're sort of beaten into shape. Yeah. Um, you know, by a, like like metal being worked, they're just hammered into this blade, and um, clearly it's a blade yeah. that's gone very rusty. And all the hammering in the world won't won't get rust off a blade, and that's the problem yeah. they've got right now. We move over to see uh, spend some time with Daenerys, and this is her wandering around the aftermath of um, a pillaging of a of a, of a village. These are the uh, the lamb men of the Lazarine, which is uh, probably my favourite quote from the series when Sajora <laughs> says that. <laughs> the lamb men of the Lazarine. You do need yeah. to say it in a certain tone of voice, don't you? You can't just, oh, it's the lamb men of the Lazarine. Yeah. The lamb men of the Lazarine. It just sounded like the guy who plays Sajora was really enjoying himself. Yeah. Like, Khaleesi, the lamb men of the Lazarine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's what you get into acting for, isn't it? So you can, you can have a moment where you sort of drop the tone of your voice and say something utterly meaningless with deep portent. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, on a more serious note here, these guys uh, have been slaughtered for no more than just... Because this, this is what the... What the what they sort of uh, colossal do. I mean, yeah, this is the nasty under. They? Yeah, this is the nasty underbelly of the Dothraki. Mm. You know, there's we can we can sort of laugh and smile when Drogo turns up with a, a silver lion on his shoulder to present it to his wife, and how Daenerys is wandering around. You know, she, she's managed to get in with. You know, she, she's come to terms with living with these people now, which is great, but. The whole society is built on this um, just casual, casual slaughter of um, of people who are weaker than them. Yeah. And I mean, there's a scene here where uh, a, a boy's trying to run away, and um, a few of the a few of the Dothraki circle him and, and start whipping him. And then once they sort of once they get bored, they just put, put an arrow in his back. And you know, there's there's just widespread rape going on, and and mm. all, all all the terrible parts of war. Um, it turns out that 
when um, Khal Drogo and his group arrived at this village, it was already under siege by a different Khalasar. Mm. And, um, and they ended up fighting that Khalasar for the right to pillage the village, if you like. Well, so my thing is, what's the what's the this is this is exactly why I wouldn't fit in in a Kalasar. What's the cost benefit ratio here, right? Like, what's the what what's the upside to galloping around and being like that village there probably produces a lot of wealth, and if we come back every year, we could get some gold out of it, or we could slaughter them all now and take it all, you know? And, yeah. and then at that point, how big is a village? And then is the village still big enough that when another Kalasar turns up? You're like, well, what we do now is we fight them. And then we mm. divide the 17 beans that are in this village between our entire Kalasar as a reward for fighting not one but two battles today. Yeah, well, you wonder... I think there's a good point insofar as... You wonder how long these lamb men can survive for until, until, they're, until they're pretty much extinct. Yeah. If they just keep getting... If the whole village is turned over every few months yeah um i think the reason they do it and um, it says in the book is that they make the lamb men make good slaves so they um they kill all the people right. who can fight and they take the rest of them into captivity and trade them with because there are big slaving cities dotted around this part of the world yeah and they will take loads of slaves off the hands of the of, of the Thraki and, and and give them give them money as as a bonus for it. But so my thing is, where's the stability? Like, why, if you're the landman of the Lazarine, do you not just go fuck it? I'm sorry, but whatever's over the sea has to be better than this. You know, like why do you not just? Yeah. You know, it's not like it's a world that's densely populated. Just light out for somewhere else where the Dothraki haven't quite worked out that you are. You know, because otherwise you're just a buffet on on the horses, aren't you? You know, you're just moving around place to place, waiting to get right. killed. It's the old thing, isn't it, of just um, aspirations and horizons, I suppose. And if that's all, you, that's all you've known, and that's your home, that's what you. I'm sure there are parts of it that you're very tied to, isn't it? You always are with home, yeah. no matter how shit it is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, it turns out that in this fight with the rival Kalasar, um, Drogo has been wounded, mm. and um, when um, Daenerys finds him. Um, he, it's, it's clear that his wounds are worse than than that other people have been making out. Yeah, he's got, he's got quite a nasty arrow wound, and it turns out that one of his nipples has been cut off. <laughs> which is, I mean, and he seems to think it's like, yeah, no big deal. Is it? Is it your nipple? Really <laughs> cut off? Yeah, it's not an easy thing, is it? <laughs> oh. Like, and oh, if I remember um, correctly, isn't it hanging off as well? Isn't it just like so, a yeah. flap of skin just? Flapping off of there and eating. He's like, Carl Drogo, no care, the nipple hanging loose. Arrow <laughs> yeah. wound, slight worry, but nipple, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, Daenerys actually makes her way through the village and has been stopping the raping. She's been taking people into, uh, taking women into her protection, mm. which has been obviously irritating the Colossar. And. Um, mm. It's, it's placed like in, in the series it turns into a massive um, a massive problem and, and Drogo only keeps hold of control by fighting one of the uh, one of the dis- dissidents if you like yeah. 
and and that's how he gets his wound. And this is told slightly differently. They sort of it's just out of the back. Kind of ex- just kind of accept it, don't they? Yeah. Well, um, I, I mean, it, and it's an interesting thing, isn't it, that George Martin does here? He squares a circle. He's got character that he wants you to care about, and he puts her in the middle of this, you know, kind of inexcusably violent and and um, vicious culture, and then yeah. kind of. Yeah, like, to a certain extent, she's embracing this culture. And you want that mm. because she's less fearful as a character and you care about the character. But on the other hand, yeah. you know, this is just a horrible culture. You know, it's, yeah. it's based entirely around brutalising, it would seem, whole whole societies, particularly the women of those societies. You know, so how... Yeah, I, I just think it's so smart the way it's written, that you care about Daenerys and you're repulsed by the actions of the Kalasar, and yet that ambiguity in Daenerys as she's becoming part of the Kalasar don't, you know, doesn't kind of alienate you at all. And you stay with the character. I think it's brilliant. It's a difficult one with Daenerys, isn't it? Because she is still, even though she's trying to save a few people from being raped here, no small thing, she's still complicit in the wider culture of, of what's happening here. Yeah. And it's difficult to to sort of know what you think she should, to decide what she should do, yeah. and um, how you feel about what she's doing. But um, you know, I suppose she is trying to in some in some way make things better. Um, she gets she enlists the help of one of the women she's saved called Miri Mazdut, who's a, basically a this this world's version of a medic. She was trained by it turns out by a maester. Um, right. Shy, which is which is known as these kind of weird magical lands, which no one really goes to, um, and she agrees to tend for um, to tend for Drogo and help him uh, recover. Drogo, sort of blood riders, is his sort of closest fighters. Don't want this to happen because they say she's a devil and they don't like this kind of magic, um, but. Daenerys believes that because she's been because tra- this woman's been trained by effectively a Western doctor, um, they'll be able to, she'll be able to help more than sort of more traditional methods. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> well, we will. There's, <laughs> there's an air of foreboding, isn't there? Yeah. I, I tell you what. I tell you what, though. Actually, with this air of foreboding and the fact that Drogo seems to be in really serious trouble, is. Um, I was expecting with with you know the big speech and the I will give the Iron Throne as a as a gift to my son. I was expecting sort of Clash of the Titans, class of Clash of Civilizations. You know they travel over the sea mm. for the first time and there's big wars and nation against nation is what I was expecting. And it could be that will still happen, but it, it's a lot more doubtful now than it was before. Just you know. In a twinkling, he goes from being this guy who could literally take over the world to being somebody who's at the mercy of some sort of questionable healing. Let's move on to Tyrion. Right. And this is a really good chapter. It starts with um, Tyrion um, discussing plans for the for the oncoming battle with uh, with Rob. Mm. Um, they've got wind that Rob's on his way down to to, to meet Tywin in the field. Tywin's getting quite excited about it and he's, he's working on his plans. Um, it turns out Tyrion's going to go in the vanguard. Basically, the, the, the mountain clans, these vicious warriors, 
have said they'll only fight if Tyrion fights amongst them. <laughs> so he's got to be with them. And it just so happens that this sort of vicious, fairly undisciplined band of warriors are just the kind of people that you stick in the vanguard right on the very front line. <laughs> yeah, well, of course it is, because Tywin doesn't care about them and wants them to be dead as quickly as possible. Then he doesn't have to pay them. Um, yeah. But, I, yeah. but it's, I wonder what's going on in the, in the heads of Tyrion's soldiers. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you, the one that we mock because of his small size and apparent inability with a sword. If you don't fight with us, we're not fighting at all. What is he, like a, like a mascot, like a good luck charm? I think he is. I think that's exactly what he is. And, um, I mean, this guy, Shagger, son of Dol, he's, um, <laughs> he's, 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 obviously, he's obviously very fond of, of, of Tyrion. I mean, when Tyrion's wandering about the camp later on, he shouts over to, to the half-man and says, come and eat with us. And I think they do think he's, he's like a bit of a lucky charm. And, you know, I, I wonder also if... Um, Shag, these guys are always portrayed as being a bit dense. Yeah. But this might be, I thought maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but it might be a way of guaranteeing that um, they're not sort of just throwing, throwing their lives away. Brilliant. Because if, <laughs> if Tyrion puts his own son with them, yeah. then he's not going to just put them somewhere where they, they're hopelessly going to get slaughtered. But that's exactly what he does. Yeah, of course it is, because he hates his son. So you can, yeah, yeah it's, uh, you always feel sorry for him, actually, don't you? It's, it's, it's fairly good political thinking, but you just didn't know that your commander hates his son, so it's less yeah. of a it's less of an insurance policy and more of a more of a guarantee that you're going to get slaughtered. Yeah, the um, Tyrion thinks that he's going to be the be commanding the vanguard because of this. Yeah, and uh, Tywin puts him out of any. Um, well, he sort of crushes that out very quickly and says, no, you're going to be under the command of Segregor. Um, because even though Tywin's <laughs> oh, going to stick his son in the <laughs> middle of it, he's, not, he's going to have a, a proper commander in there as well. Did, and Segregor, for all his mental, psychopathic tendencies, is still a battle commander. I was going to say that. Does he qualify as a battle commander? Can you be a battle commander if your primary instinct is to just have everybody killed? That's, that's that's the that's the general Sir Douglas Haig approach, isn't it? You know, <laughs> dealing with the dealing with battle battlefield models with a dustpan and brush. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're introduced as Tyrion returns to his tent to a couple of new characters. One's Podrick Payne, who's Tyrion's squire, and a not is, at all laughable figure. Well, he's got a laughable name, hasn't he? And Tyrion even makes comments of that. Yeah. But it's a good example of how Tyrion does have a bit of a soft spot for sort of outcasts and people who aren't quite right. And Podrick's one of those. He seems a nice enough boy. Yeah. But um, he's never going to be a great knight. And um, he's a bit of a figure of fun. So Tyrion's sort of taking him under his wing. Um, the other person we're introduced to is Shay, who's a, um, a prostitute. And um, or a whore, if you like, and um, he obviously is quite pleased because she isn't. She's one of the few whores that he's slept with, which who hasn't sort of recoiled in horror when she's seen him. Uh, I mean, it's quite a low base for yeah. him to like someone, yeah. isn't it? But, um, I mean, there it is. That's just what Tyrion is. That's the kind of life Tyrion's had to lead, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he goes to chat with Bronn as well, who's his sort of right-hand man sellsword. Um, he says Bronn did not seem to sleep like other men, because it's the middle of the night and Bronn's still knocking about. 
And he does seem almost, in the, the way he fights and just his actions, he's almost superhuman in strength, Brock, isn't he? There's an element of that about him. Yeah, and you kind of you kind of wonder why he hasn't become more powerful before now if he can do that. If he can if he can wander around all night before a battle and then fight in the morning. Like yeah. what's yeah, what's he what's he taking? <laughs> yeah. I suppose he the unfortunate thing for Bron is he's got these skills which are the few skills um in this world which are ten a penny. <laughs> being, good, good, being good with a sword is kind of, you know, and and being a, a vicious fighter. Yeah, uh, there there are a lot of people who can do that. Yeah, that's um, true. Actually, so I suppose it? in that sense, there's nothing special. Yeah. But compared to Tyrion, he's um, he's obviously. I mean, he's a very handy fighter. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But you know, he's probably more one in a one in a thousand rather than one in a hundred thousand. Yeah, 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 and uh, yeah, yeah, and he's he's clearly less. Special for that reason. Mm. Um, on the on the dawn, um, battle begins because uh, the the army, the Stark army, has stolen a march on the on the Lannisters in the night and have surprised them. Mm. Just what a, just what we were saying in the last cast that couldn't happen because <laughs> time was too careful. It has happened. Oh. So I suppose you could say the great John was right. Absolutely. They could have swept down under now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, although I mean, I wonder if this is. You know, because Rob wasn't just galloping at them. You know, by contrast mm. to the Great Johns, you know, he, he was a bit subtle, and it, it seems, it seems that that subtlety has not been expected of a fifteen-year-old battle commander. Oh well, actually, this is this is the diversion force, isn't it? Oh, so is this it? is yeah, sorry, this is Rob, yeah, and and this is this is commanded by Bruce Bolton. Yeah, who we've said seems to be a very cunning and uh, shrewd uh, strategist. Yeah. So I suppose. If there was one commander in Rob's army who could pull a surprise and tie in, I mean that's the guy. He's Bolton. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, so they they mount they mount up the and they prepare for battle. The Lannisters. We see Tywin wandering about uh, on his on his massive horse, and this is where we see him in the big, you know, amazing armor and the cape, and just showing the wealth and the power of his house. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Tyrion is uh, is sent into the vanguard, and the Mountain is sent, you know, sending out his orders, and he sends Tyrion and the uh, Mountain clans down to hold the riverbank. Yeah, um, I, I love this because um, this is a fantastic. I mean, George Martin he knows how to write a battle scene, um, and yeah. this is a great action battle set piece. And it's another one of those examples, perfect examples of where you just can't do it on screen um, unless you've got a hundreds of millions of pounds budget yeah there's been a couple of those actually hasn't there like where it's just been completely undeniable that the, yeah. the book is better than the than the series Tyrion walks down goes down to the river um, with his men and he's, he's looking he sees the Stark banners coming over the hill mm. and he sees that the um, there are Freys <clears throat> there are the twin towers of the Freys amongst the banners mm. and Tywin mm. has, has said that he is convinced that the ways that the phrase won't fight with, with the Starks. So it's just a little chink in the sort of strategy of, of Tywin. The, the, the mask's slipping a bit for Tywin here because a he's he's been taken by surprise yeah. by this army, and b one or two of the things that he was expecting haven't come to pass. Mm. Um. So we we descended to this very um very bloody battle. Yeah. And um. 
Tyrion comes close to death a couple of times. Um, one time he's saved by his horse because the horse actually bites the uh, his attacker and rips <laughs> half of his face off. And it's just you never think about the horses doing that, do you? No, but you in, don't. these war horses in medieval Europe were trained to do that to, to bite. Yeah. So I mean, they were just as vicious as their, uh, the people who rode them. Yeah, and yeah, because you're right. Nowadays, horses are you know, quite benign. You know, graceful possibly. Uh, fast, often, but they, you don't think of them as being sort of offensive beasts. So I, I, want, yeah. I wonder how you train a war horse to bite somebody who comes up to it the wrong way. You imagine being yeah. sort of the um, the trainee or whoever it is who's been, been assigned. It's like, yeah. look, okay, it's biting practice, and you all know what that means. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know, but anyway, somebody's got to do it, so you two go on out there. Just walk up to his face. Yeah. And um, uh, try not to flinch. <laughs> I'd expect you'd do it in the same way as now. If you came across a bad-tempered horse, you'd either try to um, sort of calm it down and train it, train that out of it, mm. or you know, it's the next for the glue factory. Yeah. But, <laughs> but if in in um, in in the sort of medieval world, if you come across a bad-tempered horse, that's the one that you think great. Brilliant. Let's, uh, let's train this one up. And um, you know, once it get get it get it used to one rider, so it doesn't bite him. Yeah, and then and, and then, then everything else is fine. When it comes to a wall. Yeah. Well, that's that's very interesting, actually, isn't it? This is he's like these these horses are the um, are the brawn of the uh, of the horse world. Like, there's yeah, useless yeah. in another age, but right here and right now, they're they're exactly what is required. Yeah. And I suppose you'd be you'd be breeding bad tempered horses with other bad tempered horses to get even oh, more bad tempered horses. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the battle continues to rage on there's um, near Tyrion there seems to be a big fight going on between a lot of Karstark men uh, a lot of your guys there we go and, um, come on boys um, they do a really good job for a while but the, the, the <sighs> mountain ends up charging into the middle of them and uh, breaking the shield wall and, um, and it starts to go badly for the Karstarks then fucking mountain um, there's a uh, Tyrion's attacked by a guy on horseback, a big knight on horseback, swinging a morning star around his head. <laughs> no, it's not I mean, a subtle you know weapon, is it? Is? <laughs> I, I, I got, what, what is a morning? A morning, star? Is it, a morning is it a ball star. and chain. Yeah, it's yeah. It, well, it's a ball and chain, but like turned up to eleven. So it's a it's, spiky ball. And yeah, chain. it's a spiky ball and chain, basically. Um, but ball and chain, I usually think of as the thing that you put on a prisoner. You know, it slows them down, stops them moving around. It's heavy weight. Um, yeah. Whereas, whereas this is it is a ball with big spikes on on the end of a chain, and the problem is yeah. that when you swing it, unless you're really good with it, you don't really know who it's going to hit. You know, you see, it yeah. needs to hit somebody else, otherwise it's going to come back around on its orbit and hit you in the face. <laughs> yeah. Well, the guy who's who's wielding this knows what he's doing because he hits Tyrion twice with it and knocks him to the ground, um, and then stands over it. He actually stands over him and asks him to yield. Mm. Um, when the guy charges out towards him, when the knight charges out, he shouts for Eddard and Winterfell. Oh, and, right. I mean, this is this is the moment where I mean, you get this feeling all the way through this battle of what do you? I'm I was conflicted as what do I want to happen because you like Tyrion, yeah, um, and you know if the, if he loses the battle, he's going to get killed, yeah. Um, if his side loses, he'll get killed, and you'd expect. Um, but at the same time, these are the guys who are fighting for Ned, yeah. And to see them get slaughtered is you don't really want to see that either. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 one of those. It's just a nice example of how 
you, you plays both sides a bit, and you don't know which what where you should be rooting for sometimes. Absolutely, and that's why it's a good book, isn't it? He doesn't just give you one protagonist; he gives you like nine of the fuckers. Um, mm. And yeah, yeah, like so. I suppose an optimist looks at this and goes, "Well, well, win-win. <laughs> one of the people I'm rooting for is going to win here." Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, yeah, like you, I don't want Tyrion to die. Uh, he's too good a character. So yeah, I'm I'm curious. I'm wondering. Yeah. Now, um, so it looks like Tyrion's about to yield and about to be captured, until Tyrion gets up and he gores the guy's horse because Tyrion's got a massive spiked helmet and he sticks that in the horse's belly, <laughs> which is pretty fucking grim. That is pretty grim, and I tell you what, it's not. It's not an image without amusement, is it? Like, uh, he's, he's underneath the horse and gets up in order to yield, and in so doing, because he's forgotten he's got a massive, whatever it is, two-foot spike on his head, making him considerably taller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know... It reminded me of that Blackadder scene. Where, which one? Um, in the fir- it's the first Blackadder scene, and there's a guy with a massive spiked helmet. And... Oh, yeah. um, it's one of the ways one of the archbishops dies. He goes, uh, oh, it was a terrible accident. He, uh, he saw the archbishop, bowed his head and ran forward. In the traditional <laughs> greeting. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's funny. Those spiked helmets, bad news. Yeah. But anyway... And why does anybody up, bother with them? Honestly, I mean, it's, it's as if they don't want to be safe. <laughs> Health and safety I mean, with spiked helmets, can you imagine? Primary risk, dis- disemboweling horses. <laughs> This image um, is the one that stuck with me from the bottom more than anything, though, because it's so gory. Yeah. As he stands up and he, he, he disembowels his horse and gets drenched in blood. Yeah. And the horse goes down with the rider underneath, and in the end, the knight has to yield to Tyrion instead. Yeah. Um, this is around about the moment where he realises that um, things are turning as well. Yeah. And uh, the Lannisters look like they're winning. <clears throat> he actually remarks on that to the knight. He says, "Looks like we're winning." And the knight doesn't say anything back. <laughs> and <laughs> and in the end, he's, he's right. You know, the, um, he survives, and the Lannisters win the battle. Mm. Um, and they've captured quite a few of the Stark men, including, I think, a Car Stark. But um, <sighs> but Bruce he was, a, he was a young lad. lad. Yeah. yeah, he's one of the heirs, I think. Um, oh, I'm not sure which Car Stark it is, but he, he's been he's been captured. But uh, Roos Bolson got away, which isn't surprising. Yeah. He, know, he knows his way around a battle. He knows how to he look after himself, slip off when he needs to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a big win for the Lannisters, but as we know, the Lannisters don't know yet, but we know that it was a... Uh, that's a feint. And then we move over to Ooh. Caitlin, who's with, who's with the main army, and this is where Rob's got to make his... Um, his sacrifice count really, yeah. um, the sacrifice of his other army. Um, Ned's, uh, Caitlin's waiting um, for the the battle to finish, um, not knowing what's going to happen, and she just muses on, the, uh, just remembers the fact that she's done this again and again and again in her life. As as a daughter, she did it waiting for her father to return to Riverrun when he rode off to war. Yeah. As a uh, so as a, a to be wed, as someone engaged, she was she waited in vain for her first husband, who would have been you know, Ned's brother, to come back from King's Landing. He never did. She married Ned instead, and then she had to wait in Winterfell when he rode off to war in the rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. And now, as a mother, she's waiting as her son now rides off to war. It's just a, it's just a lot of a, of a 
of a successful woman in this world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yes, it is. I, I haven't got anything else to say. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, she actually hears the battle rather than sees it. So, so we, we've been in amongst the the last battle. We've been seeing the uh, the, the fighting and the gory details, if you like. Mm. This one. Um, we we just hear it through Caitlin's ears, mm. so um, she hears like shouts and cries and ringing of swords. At one point, she hears Rob shouting to me, um, doing his sort of King Theoden. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I like that. Eventually, <laughs> eventually the uh, the rider. I think she sees the Great John um, and his army go crashing down into the forest as sort of a relief force as well. Yeah. And at the end of it, uh, Rob returns. He's he's safe. He's uh, he's wounded, but not badly. I think he's 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 got a. Only, I don't. He's not wounded at all. He's got blood on him, but it's not his. Yeah. And um, it turns out they've captured Jamie Lannister. It's a massive result for them. Bloody um, hell! But in this but is this is so, this is the magic of the FA Cup, isn't it? This is third round, <laughs> third round Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Don't get too excited though, Dave. Oh, because don't. um, one of the Carstark, the Lord Lord Carstark, has got three sons. Yeah. Okay. One of them's just been captured in that battle under Roose Bolton's command. And his other two sons, Torrin and Eddard Karstark, uh, were both killed by the king, Bloody by hellfire. Jamie Lannister. God, as he makes I his way. Basically, fucking pick him, he, can't he, I? He, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, it sounds like Jamie Lannister came straight at Rob to try and end this in a stroke because he yeah. realised he was losing. Yeah. And um, Rob has this personal guard around him. Yeah. And he cut his way through Torrin and Eddard Karstark and a guy called Darren Hornwood um, before they could bring him down. So it took pretty much Rob and all his personal guard to bring Jamie Lannister down Bloody and hell. it still cost him three men. It just shows what a um, talented fighter, I suppose, Jamie is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's clearly, yeah, he's the man made for this world. Um, mm. You know, born into the right place with the right skills and so on. How did um, how did your yeah. guys go on? Uh, the Boltons? Yeah. Oh, no, the uh, no, um, no, the uh, the other ones. Because you, you, you hedged. You picked two. We've had oh, we've so had the Boltons the, getting the, slaughtered, but the um, the the the, the tall hearts don't appear to have done a great deal. They seem to have <laughs> been involved, oh, but they, they not didn't. to an extent where they get a mention. <laughs> 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 so that sounds really, pretty good. The whole city of this particular bought... battlefield, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, they've equipped themselves well enough to to you know to do a job. But um, not, no one major, I don't think, has died, mainly because there are very few major characters with a name Tallheart in it anyway. Uh, um, yeah. so, so it's a big victory, and um, Theon shows how you sort of... Uh, um, Theon was one of the guys fighting by Rob's side, mm. and he shows maybe just how immature he is, because he's sort of in a bit of awe of the battle, saying, oh, it wasn't it so great, and, you know, this is, <laughs> this is something to remember. Yeah. Um, and he, he, I don't know, I just got, I got an element of sort of the fresh-faced, almost Rupert Brooke about him there. Um, <laughs> oh, very nice reference. Oh, very, very literate <laughs> reference there, Matt. I like that. Okay, next up, it's we're back with Daenerys. And it turns out Drogo is very sick now. Um, his wounds are festering and he falls off his horse which is the worst thing you can do as a leader of this kind of group. Because mm. if you if you fall off your horse, it basically means you're done. Yeah. Because um, you can't lead and, anymore, right? Yeah. yeah. Daenerys doesn't want to believe that. She tells everyone to halt, to, to strike camp. Um, Drogo's blood riders, his three 
closest men, effectively his version of the king's guard. Yeah. Um, they're close to mutiny now because they take they take commands from Drogo, not from his his wife. Yeah. And they make that point, and you can get a feeling that Daenerys is going to really struggle to hold on to this if Drogo doesn't recover. Yeah. Um. So they 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 take Carl uh, Carl Drogo into a tent, and this healer comes up again, Mary Mazdor, and um. It seems that um this is less cut and dry than in the series. It seems that Drogo hasn't been listening to her. She says she's she 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 put this um, sort of um, bandage with these different herbs and chemicals on him to to clean the wound, and he said it was stinging, it was burning. Mm. So he he ripped it off and replaced it with um, some something else, which you know um, something that they normally use. Mm. And she's very upset about that and says, you know, the reason it was on there for a reason, and that's why it's you know. That, that's why he's, it's become infected. Yeah. In in the series, it, I think she just does it on purpose, and it's a little bit less clear here. I don't know if we find out more in the next bit, but anyway. Mm. Um. So, the Carl's dying, and Daenerys is desperate to stop this happening because she sees she's so close to this invasion of Westeros. She's got an army. She's got a commander who wants to invade. And suddenly it looks like it's being taken away. Add to that the fact that this is a, a husband who actually she does love and care about now. Mm. And she just can't bear the thought of him dying. Yeah. And in the end, she asks this healer, is there any other way you can keep him alive? And she says something about blood magic. And this seems to be... where it gets weird. It, because... do- it, doesn't, sound, it doesn't sound terribly wholesome, does it? Blood magic. No. It doesn't sound no. like just put a plaster on it and take a couple of pills and you'll be fine. No, she says only death can pay for life. They bring in a, they bring in a horse and sacrifice that in the tent, and um, she tells Daenerys to leave the tent. Daenerys goes outside, and Drogo's blood riders are absolutely furious now because yeah. they they're, they're furious and and terrified. Yeah, it ends up it, it descends into an actual fight here. Um, it's basically Daenerys's personal guardsmen um the, her closest soldiers yeah. against these three blood riders who up to now have been her defenders for her and have been very close to her yeah and they've turned on her now and um it ends up in a fight to the death and jorah sajora is involved as well and there's this big sword fight between sajora and this guy called kotho who's one of the one of the blood riders mm. and it's a great sort of one-on-one and it's sort of western fighting against this dothraki <laughs> style and in it's funny in the in the series the um the dothraki uh arc or the sword um gets stuck in jorah's breastplate because he like he he, he lands a, a hit on jorah but he it hits the armor and gets wedged in there Bloody and then jorah kills him um, in the book, that doesn't happen. It's it's not. It does get wedged, but it doesn't get wedged in. It doesn't get wedged in the steel. It it strikes uh, one of Jorah's bones. I think it gets him in the arm. Yeah. And it it gets stuck in one of his bones, so he can't Bloody pull the, the sword out of his bone. And Jorah just gives him a back backhand slash with the sword and finishes him off with a sword wedged into his bone. All right. So altogether more visceral. Sir Jorah. <laughs> Not a man to mess with, I feel. 
<laughs> Can you imagine yeah. having a sword wedged in the bone of your arm and doing anything <laughs> other than going, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> the collapsing. Yeah, yeah I just collapse. Yeah. <laughs> Deary me. In a massive heat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty strong bone as well. Well, yeah, clearly. Yeah, what's he doing not just snapping in half? What, what is he made out of? This, this Joran <laughs> exactly. Mormont. Yeah, Kotho obviously hasn't been honing that sword well enough. Yeah, what a dick. So, so in the end, um, Daenerys very nearly gets a throat slit, but um, is saved at the last minute. Mm. And then... Um, but in the middle of this, the stress brings on the baby and she starts giving birth. Ooh. So Jorah picks her up and carries her into the tent. And as he's carrying her into the tent, she's thinking, this is wrong and don't take me in there. But she, she's too weak to say anything. Yeah. And you get this feeling of foreboding. And as, as yeah. they're entering, she sees... Um, he says she sees these things dancing in, in the firelights and they're, they're animals and uh, half yeah. human, half animals. And this is where we're taking a turn really into the surreal now. Because, as we've said before, for the very large part of this book, it's just um, effectively medieval Europe, just with different names. But this is where something, uh, and with the exception of what's happening north of the Wall, and this is the first time we've seen anything south of the Wall, which is genuinely disturbing and, and, and magical. And otherworldly. Mm. Um and it's well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think this is still medieval Europe, but it's medieval Europe if all the crazy ass crap that people had as superstitions, if it was true. Yeah. You know, like you, you know the yeah. traditional healers. You know, in the sense, in the sense, not of like, you know, water use or acupuncture or anything, but in the idea of sacrifice a chicken at this particular location at this particular time of day when the moon is this sort of shape. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah, and it's it's it is some creepy crap. And I, I do like that he um, that George Martin sort of restrained about it. You know, uses it to great effect, but doesn't rely on it all the time. Otherwise, it would—I mean, it would be a different and, and lesser book, I think. Mm. Yeah. Time for the last chapter in this part of the book. And I wonder what's been happening with Eddard. Well, now you're ready <laughs> to find out through the eyes of Arya Stark. Yeah. She is still stuck in the in the in King's Landing she can't get out because all the gates are being watched by Lannisters mm. and um, so she's just wandering around um, she's, because she's so scruffy that's acting as we've seen in the past people don't recognise her and she's still just managing to keep a low profile by being such a scruffy little child <laughs> um, it's interesting that we it's great that I love the thing I love about the start of this chapter is it gives us an insight into how normal people are viewing these events. We're viewing these events, these big moments, from the almost entirely the perspective of the sort of high society and the very of the powerful aristocracy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very powerful. We know what's happening. You know, this happens to Robert. This is what it means politically. But for the average person, it's just rumours, and they know that th there's one fact: the king is dead. Yeah. And then there are just 101 stories going around about how it happened. There's one story saying Renly killed the king, another saying Ned killed the king, and then Renly killed Ned. Yeah. Um, my fa my favourite story, uh, which is doing the rounds, is that um, 
Robert King Robert was killed by a boar, but he wasn't killed hunting it. He was killed eating it, and he ate so much of it that he literally exploded. <laughs> <laughs> he just ruptured himself. That's hilarious. And it's got the ring of truth to it as well, haven't you? You can just exactly. see the person there being like, he's been killed by a boar? He must have choked on it. <laughs> it's got. You're right, it's got that just enough, sort of that little kernel of, of plausibility. Yeah. Because... People will have seen him eating ridiculous amounts of food because he's he's really fat. Yeah, and he's known for these feasts. Yeah, <laughs> I like. Um, I actually, you know, it reminds me of which king is it? Who's famous, famously English king? It was Henry the Third or something? Who died of? And the quote is a surfeit of lampreys, which are like little right. like eels, little slithery little kind of fish things. And and yeah. you can and it's it's the same thing, isn't it? It's just like who knows whether that's how the king actually died, but clearly he ate enough that everybody believed if he was going to go, that was how it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that room is doing the rounds. Um, I uh, um, goes down to the port to have a look what's happening down there and mm. sees the Wind Witch, which is a ship, which is the ship which uh, Ned had uh, organised to take them home. Mm. So she sees that, and there's some, these guys in grey cloaks standing on it, and she thinks, brilliant, um, it's still here, still waiting for us, I can get home. Mm. And then she remembers her training from Syria about looking carefully at each situation, and she realises that she knows all of the people who, rem- all the people who were left, um, the depleted guardsmen, yeah. the members of her household, she knew them all. Yeah. And these guys in grey cloaks, she doesn't recognise, so they clearly... Some uh, the clearly Lannister men in disguise. Yeah. So she she slips away. Yeah. Which is again quite lucky. Yeah. She's 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 a she's very talented at that kind of stuff. I she's she's, she's re- yeah. you really feel she's come on since doing this training. Yeah. Yeah. And there are these summoning bells ringing, um, and it turns out that something big's happening at the Sept, which is the the big cathedral in the in the city, um, and she goes running up to to see what's going on and it's her father he is about to confess bloody so hell it looks like he's been yeah he's been convinced by Varys to uh to to give a confession yeah Sansa's standing to one side looking delighted and I you can't understand why she looks so happy and obviously it's because Sansa's uh thinks that her plan's going to work and everything's going to be okay and her dad's gonna get freed yeah. I, however, I mean, however, it's... can I say at this point that I have a strong sense of foreboding that any public, any public act of justice overseen by Joffrey Baratheon probably isn't going <laughs> to go according to the rules of fairness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really quite heartbreaking to see Ned brought so low because he, as he tries to make this confession, yeah. He, his voice is so thin and weak from how long he's been in captivity yeah. that um, the the mob starts shouting, you know, speak up and and, and start mocking him, yeah. and then end up start throwing, starting to throw stones. One hits him on the head yeah. and opens up a massive gash, and it's just it's hard to see this character who you've really grown to like um, brought so low. Yeah, um, and, and it's and it's the absolute antipathy of everything he what he. That he lives for as well this sort of honourable, yeah. um, you know, uh, standing up in the eyes of uh, of everybody as being a, a you know a strong and good character. Yeah, and if there's if there's anything if there's any one character in this whole thing who has lived 
you know, has lived in that way. It's him. Nobody else has done mm. it, you know? Yeah. Now, this is obviously a very carefully staged, managed production because yeah. what's supposed to happen here is Ned confesses, the High Septon, who's like the, the High Priest of, the, uh, of King's Landing, says, you know, um, because of this confession... We, we, we can forgive him mm. and and then Joffrey's supposed to be the gracious king and send him to the wall yeah. and you know the the rebellion probably ends there yeah um, and of course Joffrey has to fuck it up um, insofar as he decides because yeah I think he gets a bit of he gets bloodlust partly from the mob because they're getting so that um, they're demanding uh, Ned's head yeah Joffrey decides to give it them and he um, orders the execution of, of Ned right there. And right up to that point, or right to the end of this chapter, when I was reading it, I was thinking, no, there's some way Ned's going to get out of this. Yeah, of um, course. Something's going to happen. Someone's going to say something. He's, 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 he's the, the pole star of this whole book, as far as you're concerned as a reader. You know, he's, mm. he's the way that this world makes sense. He's, he's the place that all of these rules and this chivalry and this idea of honour is the place where that makes most sense is is in the person of Eddard Stark. So you're like, as far as I'm concerned, this book is about him. And, and up yeah. until the end of the chapter, I was exactly the same way. I was like, I wonder how he's going to get out of this. And possibly I've watched too many Hollywood films. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but this is a great, this is what, um, this author does very well is that nobody's safe and this is where we really realise it for the first time and not the last time yeah. any of these characters can be killed yeah. it doesn't matter how, how many times we've spent the, having them as a point of view character it doesn't matter how popular they are or unpopular they are mm. none of them are safe do you know what it reminds me of a joke um, that I heard the other day um, which was um uh, Joss Whedon, who's the fellow who wrote um, uh, Firefly and Serenity and um, and Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer, and um, uh, and Stephen Moffat, who's the guy who wrote um, Doctor Who, and George R R Martin, walk into a bar, and everyone you ever yeah. cared about dies. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there is there is yeah. this like and this this is a really crucial moment in, in in as well as everything else in getting to know what sort of an author George Martin is because he's because he clearly <laughs> I wouldn't say he takes delight or glee but he knows the power of killing a character that you've come to really really identify with and mm. and he uses it and this is how he does it yeah um another just just to add more misery on misery uh as the as the headsman, as the executioner approaches Ned to kill him, uh, Arya realizes that the sword that the guy's using is Ned's sword. Oh, it's ice. Fucking hell! I mean, so it's, it's beheaded with your own sword as well. I mean, I suppose the only the only glimmer of an upside is that I bet Joffrey is nowhere near considerate enough a grandson to give that sword to his grandfather, who's been looking to one looking for one forever. <laughs> no, although I'm not entirely sure how much power Joffrey would have over that if his dad just decide, his granddad just decides to have it. <laughs> um, you, you're on to something there, actually. <laughs> because I'm not sure Joffrey would have been would have given it to the headsman either. 
he could have just kept it himself. So yeah, 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 I don't know what's happened there. Point. But for some reason, um, the executioner's got Ned's Ned's greatsword. Um, as Arya, Arya actually tries to fight her way to the front to do something about it. I mean, Sansa's screaming and yeah. um, terrified. But I is the one who actually acts and tries to do something to help her father. Yeah, surprising um, no one, she, by the way. Sansa makes yeah. noise and Arya does something. Yeah, but she's stopped by this um, this old man who grabs her. And we find out from... Um, because she, she recognises him and it's the guy who went to see her dad. From He's from the Night's Watch. It's it's the guy called Yorin. Um, oh. Who we've seen in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and she... She recognises him as he grabs her and he pulls her head back and draws his knife. Yeah. And that's where we leave the chapter. What the fuck? So, <laughs> <laughs> and it's and you're thinking, well, why would he kill her? Yeah. He's, uh, because he's, surely you'd have thought he was a... I mean, up to now, he's been a friend of her father. But Yeah. So, it, so not, not only do we have an absolute gut punch in the loss of a major character... We've got the cliffhanger probable loss of another one in the same chapter. And in a way, at that point, you've got to describe George Martin as being gleeful about it, hasn't he? Because up to that, up, up <laughs> till four sentences beforehand, you have believed that the major POV characters aren't going to die. And then he's killed one of them yeah. and put another one of them in apparent peril. And you're like, what, what yeah. the fuck? What have you, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... That's that. Goodbye, oh, Ned Stark. Oh. It's uh, it's been emotional. It certainly has. And we've still got another part of the book to read yet. It's not over yet. So how is he gonna? Th- I mean, how, where? What? What? Actually, you don't need one <laughs> section of a book. You need another. You need another like fucking nine novels to unpack the crap that you've just visited upon <laughs> upon your plot. <laughs> well. Structure. Well, as luck would have it, Dave, there are another at least four coming. <laughs> Good. Good. All ready for a sharking. <laughs> well, look, that is a big moment, and I, I'm sure that one or two of us will need to talk about it. <laughs> and if you feel you need to get anything off your chest about the, the death of Ned Stark or anything else you've heard in this part of the book, do get in touch. Um, you can get hold of us on email that's a shark liver oil podcast at gmail.com or on twitter at shark liver oil there you go <sighs> well next week obviously i mean i'm not going to give you a page number to read to read to the end of the book you can even you can even read the appendix about the uh, the different houses and the different names you, actually if you haven't discovered that already that is a fantastic resource as you're going through because there are a fucking lot of names <laughs> in this book yeah um, and it's really good for for working out who's tied to who and what their backstory is. Yeah. I would also recommend a, um, on the internet a wiki of ice and fire, but I would strongly advise you to go nowhere near it unless you want to be spoiled, because <laughs> it's it's very easy to come across something which you go, what? Yeah. <laughs> when did? Oh shit! That's in three books time. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, I'd stay away from that for now and just stick to the appendices. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're running quite long. I think it's time to wrap it up. It is. Final thoughts, Dave? What the fuck? What what the <laughs> fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> see you see you next time.